You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, we are about to wrap up our time in First John over the next few weeks, and then we'll be diving back into the letter to the Romans. Um, I hope that uh, First John has been an encouragement to you. Um, it's always challenging to walk through it. Um, in 1999, Morgan and I moved to Wichita, Kansas, and not long after we got there, um, I made a really good friend um, by the name of Roger Dakin. And Roger's daughter, Christine, wound up being one of our students. Roger and his wife, Kathy, um, are great friends, uh, wound up being some of our very faithful youth workers. Um, but one of the things that you notice about Roger, if you met Roger very, very quickly, you notice Roger is in a wheelchair. Um, Roger, uh, 10 years before I met him, in 1989, Roger was a firefighter in the city of Wichita. And um, one day, uh, they were out fighting a brush fire north of the city. If you've ever seen brush fires, you know that they get really thick and dense with the smoke. Well, Roger came back up to the truck to unkink a hose, and the truck was parked on the side of the highway. Um, there was a lady driving down the highway going 40 miles an hour who could not really see very well because of the smoke, and she slammed into the back of the fire truck, pinning Roger between the truck and her car, and he lost both of his legs from the knee down. And when Roger decided to become one of our student workers, he was going to lead a Sunday morning Bible study group with our high school guys. Roger told me, he said, I want just make sure you know ahead of time, um, there's probably going to be a Saturday night or a Sunday morning where Kathy calls you and says, Roger's not going to be there today. Um, and it will be because I'm experiencing phantom pains. And at that point in life, I had never heard anyone mention phantom pains before. I'm like, is this like a superhero illness? Uh, what, what is this? And Roger began explaining to me, I will start having writhing pain in my ankles. To which I think I asked him, so since you don't have any ankles, how is that possible? Um, and Roger began explaining to me what phantom pain really is. Um, see, the nerves in your spinal cord that used to run to your ankles, your ankles may not still be there, but those nerves are. And every once in a while, they start deciding to tell your brain, my ankles hurt. And so that feeling is very, very real. The sensation, it's there. You can't argue with it. Roger's not imagining it. The, the feeling is very real. But the bottom line is, Roger's ankles and his feet, they're not there anymore. They're gone. As you're reading this letter from John, the apostle, the beloved of Jesus, one of the disciples, you get this understanding that John knows that we're going to experience the exact same thing with our shame and our guilt. They're not there anymore, but we still feel them. First Peter um, chapter 2, verse 24, Peter says that Jesus bore 
our sin in his body. That Jesus, he, he paid the penalty. He's removed our sin. He's taken away our guilt and our shame. But for some reason, you and I, we still feel them sometimes. And this is why we desperately need the assurance of the Spirit. That's what John is going to encourage us with this morning. Um, that's where we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, near the end of the Bible. Um, if you're new to the book and you're using the YouVersion app there, the Bible app, you can go to the events um, and find the brook and follow along with us. But if you'll join me in 1 John chapter 3, um, we're going to begin in verse 18. John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as Christ has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So John moves from kind of one thought to the next in, in this part of the letter by saying we don't just love in word and talk. We love in a couple of different ways. We love in deed and in action by what we do. But you also take notice of what he says there, verse 18. We love in deed and in truth. Love, uh, love is okay with the truth, facing the truth, um, the truth being known. Well, so then John says, by this, by that truth, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. And why is this so important? Well, John says next, for whenever our hearts condemn us. Notice something. John doesn't say if. John doesn't say if our hearts condemn us. He says whenever, because he knows it's going to happen. Our hearts are going to condemn us. Our feelings are going to lie to us. When I said, when John says our hearts are, are going to condemn us, whenever our hearts condemn us, maybe you heard that and you thought that's kind of heavy Bible language. Well, I think that every single one of us can hear the statement, our feelings will lie to us and go, okay, now I've been there like yesterday, like about once every hour maybe. There are lots of times and days where my feelings lie to me. Well, the good news here, John says that the truth will reassure our hearts. God is greater than our hearts. Turn to the middle of your Bible to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17 we actually looked at this specific scripture just a couple of weeks ago um, because it is very, very appropriate and applicable with a lot of what John writes in his letter. In Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 9, 
God speaks and says through the prophet, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Our hearts are sick. But good news, God is greater than our hearts. And so abiding in his truth reassures our hearts. John has said to abide in him, to abide in Christ, to walk in him means to abide and to walk in his words, to rest in the truth, not our truth, so to speak, but his Understanding that, I think it's important for us to take a few minutes this morning and reflect on the truth of who God is, of who he has said that we are, and what he has done on our behalf through Christ. And in doing that, I want us to take just a few minutes, and I want us to walk through a few of the Psalms written by David. They're all written by David, but they're written in very different seasons of David's life. But as we read through this morning, keep that thought in mind that our hearts are going to condemn us. Our feelings are going to lie to us very, very often. Turn with me to Psalm 139. I don't know of many passages in scripture, specifically the Old Testament, but scripture period, that speak more powerfully to who God is and even more so to who we are, who he says that we are. Look at Psalm 139 verse 1. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's too high for me to even wrap my mind around. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? This is not David saying, hey God, where's a good place I can go and get a break from you? Um, this is David saying, Lord, there is nowhere that I can go that you are not so vast that you're not there. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the depths, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. If you need any word whatsoever um, against abortion, here it is. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Church family, the last words we just read are the ones that we really, really need to reflect on. As David makes the statement, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. We've got to get to a place where God's thoughts become more precious to us than our feelings. God's thoughts have to become more precious and more important to us than our feelings, the way that we feel about things. Why? Because God's heart does not change. God's truth abides. My feelings flutter like a leaf in the wind. God's truth has to determine mine and not the other way around. And that can be hard sometimes. Psalm 103. Turn a few pages back. Verse 1, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children... So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord doesn't deal with us according to our sin. He does not repay us according to our iniquity. The Lord says to us, 
I have taken your sin as far as the east is from the west, as far as you can possibly move in one direction from the other, and I have removed it from you. And the Lord says to us, your sins are forgiven. Your guilt is no more. Psalm 32. I hope by now maybe some of you are thinking, maybe I should read the Psalms a bit more often. Psalm 32 verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And there you see the word Selah which is this almost indescribable word for stop and rest and have peace. David begins again, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Stop. Rest in that peace. And then he begins again, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David says, Lord, I tried to hide my sin from you. I tried to sweep it under the rug. I tried to pretend it wasn't there. And my bones within me began to waste away. My soul began to deteriorate. And so, Lord, you brought me to the place that you gave me the wisdom to confess it to you. I didn't, I stopped covering my iniquity. I, I laid it all bare before you. And he says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And because of this, now David says, and so, therefore, let the godly offer prayer to you. David says here, as we understand, as we cherish, as we embrace the depth of God's forgiveness, that we not only can, but we will begin to offer prayer to the Father. John is moving in this direction in his letter. If you'll go back there with me into 1 John. Let's look again. Look at verse um, 21. And remember, John has said, whenever our hearts condemn us, they're going to condemn us. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Is John confused? Is he messing with our minds? I thought you just said, whenever our hearts condemn us. Now he's saying, hey, there's an opportunity that maybe this doesn't have to happen. What John is saying here is that our hearts are going to try to condemn us. But if we are resting in the truth, we don't have to walk through that. So, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, 
we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Is John saying, so this is great news. If you'll just do whatever God asks, then he'll give you whatever you want. No. What John is saying is that you and I need confidence so that we will boldly approach the Father. We need confidence before him so that we will approach him. If you turn a few pages back from 1 John in the letter to the Hebrews, there's a couple of places where the writer of this letter just continually affirms what John is saying. In Hebrews chapter 4, Look at verse 16. He says, Let us then with confidence, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of those times of need is going to be when our hearts condemn us, when our feelings lie to us. A couple pages over, chapter 10. Look at verse 19. And this may be some of the richest words in all of Scripture here. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, there it is again, to enter the holy places. Why and how do you and I have confidence? Because we've finally gotten it right and been good enough? Nope. Because, you know, deep down we're just good people? Nope. We have confidence to enter those places, the holy places, by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. That is, through his body in bearing our sin on the cross. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, listen to this, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We need confidence before the Father so that we will approach the Father. Friends, God desires that you and I would have confidence before him so that we will communicate with him. You remember a couple of weeks ago, actually last week, we talked about God doesn't want us to shrink back from him in shame. He desires that we approach him in confidence. God desires that you and I would come and that we would ask God desires that our hearts and our affections would be stirred by his greatness and that our desire to see him do great things in us and through us, that it would grow. Yes, big, huge, kingdom-sized things, but also these small things that maybe even in our flesh we think, that's insignificant, I can't bother God with that, trouble God with that, and yet God says, come and bring it to me. I shared in the first service, I have one of the the vivid memories from when my kids were younger, when we lived in Kansas. Um, We used to go to the water park a lot. And I remember these summer afternoons being in the water park. Um, You know, kids in the back seat, they typically are one of a couple things. They either become mortal enemies 
or co-conspirators, right? I'm pretty sure mine were normally the latter. But somewhere on the way home from the water park, if it hadn't happened already, someone would begin the stir of begging mom and dad for snow cones. Um, Can we get a snow cone? I'm pretty sure at almost 17, Libby can still tell you the date the snow cone place opens and the day it will close. It's like it's a season, snow cone season. But they would begin begging and pleading, can we please get snow cones? And most of the time, um, we would say yes. To be quite honest, for full disclosure here, half the time they didn't even have to start this because they have such a cool mom that she would usually say something like, so anybody want a snow cone? You know, and you can't say, you can't say no as dad. You'd be like the, the loser now. But there are times, let's just be real, there were times that we had to say no. Because we knew they had already had like way too much sugar. And so the last thing that you need is a cup full of liquid sugar at this moment. So sometimes there would be no. But here's what I want to communicate to you. There was never a time that my kid asked for snow cones. They, They made the appeal. And I pulled the car over to the side of the road and I said, snow cones? What kind of father do you think I am? Snow cones? You think all I can provide for you is a snow cone? How dare you? Why would you not ask for something much, much greater than a snow cone, foolish child? Never said that. Never thought it. Why? Because I'm not out for my kids in some egotistical way, to know how awesome I am. I I don't want to give great things to my kids so that they'll be like, Dad is awesome. Really deep down as a parent, you want to give great things to your kids so they will know how awesome you think they are. So understand here with me, and, and don't misunderstand me. I believe that the God of the universe not only desires but deserves for you and I and our feeble minds for us to attempt to fathom how great and awesome he is. But I think that we also need to understand that our God desires that we know what he thinks about us. And you know, I think that we fail very, very often to ask him to do and to provide great things, but maybe that's because we fail very often to even ask him to do what we think is maybe just too insignificant to bother God with. Let me relieve you of the pressure this morning. That's not your call. The father says to his children, come. Come and ask. Come and ask. Because he desires that we know what he thinks of us. He desires that we have that assurance of who we are in him. See, friends, as we have confidence to approach him, we then have opportunity to see his provision and his faithfulness. 
And as we have more opportunity to see his provision and his faithfulness, our affections, our desires for him, they grow stronger and stronger. And as all of that begins to take place, and as we mature in our faith, what we begin to realize is deep down, I don't really want, desire, or need some obedient genie. I actually need a faithful father, and I have one. I don't need someone who just at my whim is there when I clap and gives me what I want. I need a father who knows what I need before I even ask. And I have one. So John, he's saying to us, this faith and this obedience, and along with the spirit, who the faith and the obedience wouldn't even be possible without, that those things come together and provide us with this beautiful gift called assurance. Go back with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. He says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as Christ has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I want you to pay really close attention to what John just said in that last verse. If y'all can toss that one back up there, verse 24. Look at what he tells us. John says that the Holy Spirit within us, this is evidence that God abides in us. But our obedience, which only happens in and through the Spirit, that's the evidence that we're abiding in him. Are you with me? Are you catching this? The spirit within me, that testifies that God is abiding in me. But my obedience to the father, which only happens through the spirit and because of the son, that's the affirmation and the evidence that I'm abiding in him. The relationship, our relationship with him, it's totally dependent on the completed work of of Christ. Our relationship with him as father and son and daughter in Jesus Christ, that relationship is sealed and nothing and no one on this earth or in all of creation can touch it or change it. Our fellowship with him, however, is contingent on our obedience to him. The father doesn't break the fellowship. The kids do. We do. But see, we need to understand that God longs for our obedience, yes, because he is our father and desires that of his children. But he also longs for our obedience because he longs for this fellowship with us. He doesn't desire that we walk in broken fellowship with him. And that's why he says, come, come and bring it. Bring your joys, bring your hopes, bring your sin, bring your failure, bring your disappointment, whatever it is, just bring it. Let me begin to wrap up by saying this. 
when the Spirit convicts of sin, we come to the Father in confession and repentance. John starts the letter with this. 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But friends, when our hearts condemn us, not when the Spirit convicts us, but when our hearts condemn us of sin that we have already confessed and repented and been forgiven of, those are the moments that we must rest in the truth of who God is, of who he says that we are, and of what he has already accomplished through his son on our behalf. Let me see if I can maybe give you an example of the difference. Let's say that today um, I'm going to go to the gym and I get in my car and driving to the gym, you're in front of me and you're just going way too dang slow and you just make me mad and I start yelling and screaming at you, uh, grabbing paper wads and throwing them at you as I finally get to pass you and just I'm so infuriated and I get to the next traffic light and God begins to say, yeah, so maybe you weren't acting like Jesus back there. Um, And I have to come to a point of saying, Father, forgive me for my juvenile, ridiculous reaction. And then you drive up and I say, can you roll down your window? Which you think, I ain't rolling down my window, this loony bird. And I have to say, I'm so sorry for acting like an idiot. Please forgive me. And then I get to the gym and my eyes begin to wander and the spirit has already said, nope, your eyes don't need to go there. That's not why you're at the gym. Here's the way of escape. And I go, yeah, you just shut up for a minute, spirit. And my eyes still wander and I begin to look at things that I'm not supposed to look at and think things I'm not supposed to think. And in that moment, the spirit finally brings me to the place of brokenness. And I have to leave the gym early and get in my car and go through a time of confession and repentance. Father, forgive me that I continually let my heart and my mind wander down a path you don't desire for me. I need you to purify me. That's conviction of sin and that's confession and repentance. But see, if I'm getting in my car today and I all of a sudden begin to feel guilt about lust in my life when I was 16 years old that I have long, long, long ago confessed and repented of and God has granted forgiveness and said, Brian, I've removed that from you as far as the east is from the west. But I begin feeling that guilt and my heart starts to say, yeah, you're never going to be good enough. You you know you're going to screw this up again. I mean, you might as well just raise the white flag now. Go on and and do it because you know you're going to fall on your face. That's not the spirit bringing conviction. That's my heart bringing condemnation. And that's when maybe I need to pull over to the side of the road And preach the gospel to myself for a moment. And remind myself of Psalm 139 and Psalm 103. 
and be reminded that right now my heart is lying to me and that the enemy is deceiving me. And maybe right there on the side of the road even say, Father, I need you in this moment to remind me that I am your child, that you are a good father, that I have been forgiven, that I have been purified, that you are still working in me to make me more like Christ. And Satan, get your nasty butt out of my car. I did not invite you here. We've got to understand the difference between when the spirit convicts and our heart condemned. Don't be driving down the road today and get angry and go, oh, now heart, stop condemning me. That's not what's going on. That's the spirit bringing conviction. But we experience this a lot because confession and repentance are not an active part of our life. And they must be. But let me close by saying this. You and I, if we desire to walk in this assurance, we've got to walk in spirit and in truth. This is exactly what Jesus said to the woman at the well. But here's the thing. You and I, we cannot walk in this truth, the truth of the spirit, without walking and abiding in the word. It doesn't happen. And maybe if we're going through seasons of of feeling like the fellowship with God is broken, and I don't know that I'm walking in this assurance of the Spirit, well, maybe you aren't walking and abiding in the Spirit because you are not walking and abiding in the Word. If your Bible is collecting dust, I would just about guarantee you that's the season that you're walking through. Stop it. Stop. And begin walking in the assurance that you are a forgiven child of the Father. Let's close here in 1 John by reading in chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. Listen how John, he just continually affirms what he's saying over and over again. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love God because he first loved us. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, first of all, we pray 
for anyone who is here that does not have the assurance of the Spirit because they have not come to a place of faith in trusting you, in Jesus believing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we pray today that you are drawing their hearts to you. Lord, today that they would come to the place of of knowing and believing that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead. Lord, we pray this morning as you're adopted, forgiven, born-again children, that we would rest and that we would walk and that we would abide in you. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, every one of us. Lord, we pray this morning that if we are wandering, that you would come and get us. Father, we pray this morning that if there is unconfessed sin in our life that is breaking the fellowship that we have with you, Lord, that you would bring us to a place of repentance. Lord, bring us to that place of confession and repentance before you, but also before one another. Father, we proclaim today that you are a great and awesome God. That you are worthy of all our praise. We say as David did, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless your holy name. Spirit, we pray that you would have your way with us today, that you would move in us and through us. Lord Jesus, we proclaim that you are the Prince of Peace, that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Be exalted in these moments as we worship you. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.